Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I sure want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church, where we love God and love people, and I hope you'll be inspired by today's message. Now, for more great content and lots of updates, I'd love to connect with you online at rodparsley.com. But right now, let's head into today's episode. Everybody on your feet, please, with your Bible on your hands. Open it up with me, if you will, to the 20th division of the Psalms of David. Sweet Psalmist of Israel, David, the warrior king. Everybody say, we're in for a struggle. Psalm chapter 20 and verse 5. I want you to hold your Bible in your hand. I want you to feel the weightiness that is the undeniable inerrant infallible word of Almighty God that is neither Look Magazine nor Reader's Digest. Jesus said the words that I say to you, they are spirit, they are life. Put one hand on the top of that Bible, all 1,166 pages of it, and say this with me, this is spirit. This is life. I'm about to be irreversibly changed. Now, just stay right where you are because if you let me break the seals on this revelation, you can never return to where you are. You can't get back from there. Spirit. Life. Now lay your hand on your chest and shout with me. I receive the life of the inherent word of God. Now give him praise for it right now. Lord, we acknowledge the power resident in the seed of your word. A seed has life within itself. Your word is power. Your word is spirit. Your word is life. Now look with me at the words of Psalm verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 5. We will rejoice in your salvation. Well, if you will, then do. And we will rejoice. We're not finished yet. In the name of our God. Somebody just give a little Thank you, Jesus, that 
He is Jehovah Raphika, the Lord your God that healeth all your diseases. Somebody just raise up a little hand and wave it that he is Jehovah Rohi, the Lord your shepherd. Yea, though you walk through the valley, I feel my help coming. Of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for he is with you. His rod, his staff, they comfort you. Somebody thank him that he is Jehovah Shammah. He walks in when everybody else walks out. Somebody thank him. Your wife may have left you. Your friends may have left you. But we give thanks for the name of our God, Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. Jehovah Makedesh, our holiness. Here's the one we're about to preach out today. He is Jehovah Nissi. Are somebody shouting that know what that means? He is Jehovah Nissi, my banner of victory. Somebody give him praise. Somebody give him glory. We will set up our banners. Between Guam and Japan lies a tiny little island called Iwo Jima. Only five, two and a half miles wide at its widest point. Five miles long, two and a half miles wide at its widest point. Just a little speck of an island. Yet it became the site of one of the bloodiest battles of all of World War II. American forces, you understand, needed little Iwo Jima for their final assault against imperialist Japan. So week after week and day after day, they bombarded it day and night. Finally, on February the 19th, 1945, the 5th Marine Amphibious Corps stormed its beaches with 30,000 Marines. Now, now wait a minute. This island is five miles long and two and a half miles wide at its widest point. 30,000 Marines stormed its beaches. Four days later, our blooded Marines claimed victory in the southern end of that island. And six soldiers proudly planted the stars and stripes upon the summit of Mount Suribachi. A famed photograph of that moment is forever immortalized in our memories as one of the most recognizable sights 
of historical record. Of course, I'm going to have to parenthetically insert right here that in those days, uh, there were no dissenters. You know, there were no mm, armchair quarterbacks, no second guessers about the war effort. In those days, political leaders had enough decency to keep their opinions out of the public spotlight for the sake of our fighting men and women laying their lives on the line every day. But the battle wasn't over in Iwo Jima. Nearly 22,000 Japanese soldiers were buried in an elaborate maze of caves and tunnels that spread throughout the northern sector of that island. Our Marines had no choice but to engage in hand-to-hand -hand mortal combat, climbing into those caves, climbing into those tunnels, and dragging out the enemy one soldier at a time. 36 days later, the battle was was over. The helmets of 6,800 slain Marines were neatly stacked in remembrance and nearly 21,000 enemy lives were lost. Over 60 years later, we find ourselves in a confrontation far greater than anything recorded in the annals of war. Let me make this announcement. It will cost us something to rescue a generation, restore a nation, revitalize a civilization. I'm going to shout it again whether I get any help or not. Self-sacrifice is entry-level Christianity. <laughs> Ours is not a battle of force and violence, but of service and sacrifice. This is no warfare of guns and missiles, but rather of truth and principle. In this war, we do not seek to kill our adversaries, but to win them with the love of our Redeemer's Savior and His eternal grace. We do not seek to imprison those who oppose us, but to set them free. For He that the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm sorry to report to you today that many of our comrades have failed to report for duty. Instead, they've been taking up their positions in the battlefield of the ages. They have, they have not been ready to stand watch on the spiritual wall. Instead, they have taken up a compromising position in the bedroom of their own lust. We have sacrificed the standards of righteousness and holiness for loose living and a corrupt conference conscience. We have so lowered the standard of spiritual acceptability that what we are now shooting at, at what one time was beneath our feet. Let me shout it with Isaiah as he strides through the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. Truth, truth lies fallen in the streets. And we dance 
and sing, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Hear the words of Isaiah thundering out of his spirit when the enemy shall come in. How many of you believe he's coming in? When 8,000 of our children are contracting sexually transmitted diseases every day. When preachers can't stay off the pornography sites on the internet. When marriages are falling apart in the church at an unprecedented rate. When we don't know where to turn. When we don't know what to do. Let me remind you, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Somebody shout, raise the standard. Shout it again. It's time to stop yearning for the years that are now history. It's time to stop mourning for the moments already lost. What are we going to do? Shove your neighbor on the shoulders. And I ask him this question. I say, say, what are we going to do? With gasoline, three dollars a gallon, what are we going to do with our children lost? And on their way to hell, what are we going to do when the church has walked away from the foundational pillars of doctrine? What are we going to do? Are we just going to go to church and sit in our padded pews neath our crystal chandeliers and listen to some six-foot icicle get up there and moan and groan and mess about? Shove them on the shoulder and ask them, what are we going to do? Oh, no, no, don't turn back away. Do it again. No, no, do it again. Now wait on a response. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when in my parents' generation, 65% of the men and women in America held to biblically-based values, and in my generation, it dropped to 35%, and in my daughter, who's 18th generation, it is 4%. Would you just ask your neighbor for me, sitting in a pew this morning, what are we going to do? It was that question that I asked at the funeral service of my pastor and mentor for nearly 20 years, Dr. Lester Summerall, as he lay in state with Oral Roberts on one side and of me and Dr. Lester and, 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 and Dr. Kenneth E. Hagan on the other side of me. I, I was sitting there looking at his body. I was getting ready. He left in his will that I was to preach his funeral as I preached his wife's. I sat there with tears streaming down my face. That is the question that I asked God. What are we going to do? You 
will understand my dilemma with but a brief description of the life that was represented by that body lying in state. This was no modern day pop psychology spewing preacher. This was no wine-bibbing, booze-guzzling entertainer called a preacher. This man married the only woman that he had ever kissed in his life and stayed married to her for over 50 years. Not one drop of alcohol had ever passed over his lips. I wish that the church would rise up and begin to support that kind of a preacher. I'm qualified. I met my wife. I lived in a dating relationship with her for seven years. Pure. Not like yours. Pure. No regrets. Nothing to apologize for. Nothing to repent for. And then I married her because my pastor told me to. And 20 years later, I'm more in love with her at this minute than I've ever been in my life. I'm qualified. I don't drink ever, never. Well, you're just a legalist. No, I'm a Nazarite. I got a vow. And if I won't do that, he promised to do this. You're not listening to this preacher. I'm qualified. When I looked at that man and those lips now cold and silent, I remembered that he spoke one word and cast the devil out of a girl in Billy Bid prison. And how many? 150,000 men and women gave their lives to Christ. The second largest church in all of Asia is still there today.
because he walked into a jail cell and shouted, come out of her. Oh, I want that kind of power. If it means I stay married, I want that kind of power. If it means I don't touch alcohol, I want that kind of power. If it means I got to be sanctified holy, I want that kind of power. If it means I got to be baptized in fire, I want that kind of power. My children, talking tongues. My daughter is sitting in a university campus today and I got in here late because I was on the phone with her and she said, preach daddy, preach, don't let up, preach daddy. I'm qualified. When I was sitting looking at that man and I said, what are we going to do? I saw what was coming. I saw, I saw the kind of preachers he is about to hand this thing off to. And I said, what are we going to do? And God in that moment, in that moment, scoot over Jesse, in that moment, sitting there. Looking at that body in that casket, I heard God say, you're going to raise the standard. He didn't say lower the standard. He didn't say, well, you just can't preach that way anymore. He didn't say, well, you got to become user friendly. He didn't say, well, you got to entertain the people. You got to give the people a light show and a pinball machine. You got to herd them in and herd them out. Give them 30 minutes and let them go. That's not what I heard God say. I heard almighty God declare, raise the standard. Get on your feet and shout for 30 seconds. from our commander-in-chief. Mark 16, 15. Go! Sit down. Shout go. 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 Look at your neighbor and say, why are you still sitting here? Go. Go. When you get up in the morning, you put your pants on, go. When you get up in the morning, you put your skirt on and your Maybelline, go. When you put your suit on, go. When you put your work clothes on, go. When you get your school books, go. Go into the highways. Go into the byways. Go into the hedges and compel men and women to come to Christ. Still the plan, still the purpose of God for God to save men through the foolishness of preaching. Somebody shout. You could attend 
Most churches today, your entire life, and never hear an invitation for salvation given. Many no longer believe in the fall of man, nor in the biblical doctrine of sin. Then how, pray tell, can men ever repent? And if they can repent and plead the blood of Jesus, then without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for their sins. I know it's not politically correct. I know it's not culturally correct to tell people they're lost without God and on their way to hell without the saving grace of a crucified king, but I can't help it. It is still true today. In the last three weeks, three weeks, we've seen over 400 men and women weep their way to the saving grace of Jesus Christ of Nazareth around these altars at the foot of an old rugged cross. Somebody shout if you believe we ought to continue to raise the standard. Listen, people ask me, Why do you go like you do? Why do you preach like you do? Why do you hug your wife and kiss your babies goodbye? Climb on an airplane 150 nights a year. Why do you do it? Why? Can I tell you that right now my lungs are burning like fire? Can I unashamedly admit to you that I basically abuse this temple of clay? Can I tell you that I'm so weak right now that I can barely hold up this standard? Can I tell you that I ought to preach this once today? I'm preaching it again right now. When I leave you, I'm climbing on an airplane, and at 5.30 tonight, I'll be in San Antonio, Texas, in another pulpit, preaching it again. Can I tell you that I won't sleep with my wife tonight, because I got to stay all night in San Antonio and be at John Hagee's tomorrow and get up and preach at 10 o'clock in the morning again? Can I tell you that I can barely stand right now, and I'll do this four times in the next 24 hours? It won't make me a dime why do you do it because truth lies fallen in the street why do you do it because the apex of all Christian endeavor must become to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior that the Lamb of God slain may receive the reward of his suffering. We don't want them saved because they need saving. We want to see them saved because they are his eternal reward. That's why we built this place 
That's why I got a microphone. That's why I got a PA system. That's why we've got a children's ministry and youth ministry and a infant ministry and over 100 outreaches in this local church that's why this man on the front row helps me with bridge of a hope so i can raise up the standard in sudan where two million people are already dead somebody's going to hell somebody's hungry somebody's starving somebody's being beaten somebody some husband's wife is being raped somebody is being forced to accept Allah against their will. Somebody's going to hell and I have to stop it. That's why I formed the Center for Moral Clarity because I believe a common sense consensus can be reached in the midst of inflamed and polarized passions if we'll just cut through the clutter of all this political extremism. I believe there is not a black church. There is not a white church. There is not a Hispanic church. There is not an Asian church. There is only one church. You're not listening to me. That's why that's why it's everywhere I look. That's why I anointed this man. That's why I laid my hands on him. I ordained him. That's why I send him. I don't tell him, go out into Columbus and find the wealthiest neighborhood. I said, I want to start a church. I want to start another church. I want to start another church. I said, go out and find me the number one neighborhood for murder in Columbus, Ohio. Go find me the number one neighborhood for violent crime in Columbus, Ohio. And then get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, and go start a church right in the middle of the gates of hell. Go set captives free. That's why we do what we do. Give him praise. God expects more out of us than a series of official appointments. He is a person. He expects a personal relationship. There are certain principles concerning our relationship with Christ that have never changed. Let's see. How about the personal devotion of prayer. Somebody shout, go ahead, preach it. Go to 1230. I'm having a good time. Come on. Come on. Somebody say prayer. Here's what your Bible says. If we ask anything, anything, say anything. If we ask anything, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know with steadfast confidence and assurance that we have granted to us for our present possession whatever we have asked him for. Let me ask you a question. Why won't people pray? hell knocking at your door 
Why won't people pray? With our nation coming apart at the seams and the wheels coming off, why won't people pray? Second Chronicles 7.14 makes a promise. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Why won't people pray when your children are about to split the bowels of hell wide open? Why won't people pray when your marriage is falling apart? Why won't people pray when your boyfriend is pawing you like some kind of sexual object? Why won't How about this one? Hmm. Hold this. You strong enough? I don't know. You been praying? Because Ananias, the Holy Ghost will tell on you. You go to hold this banner up, and you're not a man of prayer. It'll fall right over, right on top of you. Why aren't the dorms? Dr. Fisher at World Harvest Bible College interrupted by people streaming out of their dorm rooms at three in the morning and crying, I've got to pray. Where are the preachers that weep between the porch and the altar instead of trying to find out a fundraising scheme? Yeah, I, I'm gonna go put this back now. How about this one? <laughs> Read your Bible. Is this what it sounds like at your house on Sunday morning? Honey, have you seen my Bible? <laughs> I had spies at your house. That's the reason your body needs Jenny Craig and your spirit is so emaciated that you can't even get rid of a common cold. Your spirit must be nurtured on spirit food. Well, that went over real big. <laughs> oh, pastor, give us some deep revelation. <laughs> That's your problem. You so deep, you stuck. <laughs> the principalities and powers tremble. When you get on your knees, are you more excited for your devotional time in the Word than you are to sit here and watch me preach? Do you get up in the morning and say, where's my Bible? Where's my Bible? Where's my Bible? Or do you get up in the morning and say, dear God, where's Starbucks? 
You're not shouting now. See, I, I really worked on this. I thought you'd like that. You know, I, I don't know. Really, I thought you'd like. I thought you'd like this. I thought you'd get real excited about this. I, because I just was sure that before you go to bed every night, before you turn off Law and Order reruns, you're like, I can't go to bed. I'm hungry for the word. I gotta have a word. Give me Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Give me, give me some Ephesians, Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians. Somebody tell me the story of Jesus. How about this one? Here's a good one for you. Ready? You ready? So, so what have we had so far? We had uh, pray. Uh, oh, read the Bible. Is that all? Uh, I, huh? I've, I've preached an awful long time on them two. On those two. Sorry. Uh, I don't know. How about? Uh, how about um, go to church? <laughs> Your response is just overwhelming. <laughs> you know, I'm a, if I was doing that, you'd be, <laughs> how about I go to church? How about I get up in the morning? How about Saturday night? You lay in your clothes out. For you remembered I will sanctify myself today under God. For tomorrow he will do great things for me. Do you get as excited about getting up on Sunday morning as you do hearing the work bell sound at 5 o'clock on Friday? I'm trying to find somebody that understands in this house there is healing. In this house there is joy. In this house there is peace. Moses said, it's the gateway into the presence of the Almighty. You ought to walk through these doors with a hallelujah. You ought to get up in the morning and say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go, let us go, let us go, let us go into the house of the Lord. Shout, raise the standard. Okay. I'm just going to do one more and we'll let you go home. Get this one. Oh, get this
I gotta find somebody to understand. Sometimes you don't have a hallelujah. Sometimes you need somebody to help you. Sometimes your hand feels too heavy. Sometimes you lost your dance. Sometimes you so burdened. When the doctor tells you you have to die and cannot live. When they tell you your son has autism. You need somebody to help you. My husband walked out on me. Bills are past due. The doctor said I have cancer and I got no health insurance. I just Somebody, somebody give me the church. Somebody give me where I can sit next to somebody and hear their praise. Somebody, somebody clap for me. Somebody shout for me. Somebody help me. Somebody. should have had a nervous breakdown, but you didn't. Why aren't we thankful? Your breasts were eaten up with cancer and he healed you. Why aren't we thankful? Why do we murmur and complain and tail bear and backbite? He gave you that good wife. Why aren't you thankful? Here's the pattern. Here's the pattern. Body soul 
spirit, outer court, inner court, holy of holies. Here's the pattern. Thanksgiving, praise, worship. Here's the pattern. I'm thankful in the outer court. I'm thankful for what I can see that is done. I'm thankful that what I know he's already done. I got outside light out there illuminating everything he's done. Somebody thank him for what he's done. Take one more step. Take one more step. Thanksgiving's with your body. That's why we shout, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. That's the reason we say, clap your hands, all you thankful people. Shout unto God. You ought to be thankful you're born again. And if you're not born again, you ought to be thankful you're not in hell yet. Somebody thank him. Then you get in the inner court. That's the place where there's the illumination only by those golden candlesticks. You know what that represents? That Bible. Because sometimes you got to praise him with your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. When you don't see the tumor gone, but you got a word on it. Isaiah 53, 5 says, with his stripes, I am healed. Yeah, your children aren't saved yet, but you got a word on it. You and your house shall be saved. You gave and you haven't seen the harvest, but you got a word on it. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, heaped up, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.